immensely encouraged myself as a pioneer pastor. If you have your Bibles, I would like you to turn with me to um, book of Isaiah chapter 6. And then uh, you can mark that, and then I'm going to read a couple of verses in Matthew chapter 6 as well. I want to talk this morning about one of the great issues of pioneering, and not only pioneering, but uh, maintaining a ministry, and that has to do with your personal prayer life, your, your prayer closet. First book I ever read when I got saved was The Cross and the Switchblade. Now, I know most of us have seen the movie, which is an understatement. But as the old saying goes, ne- never never judge a book by its movie. You know, and so... Um, and I- I'll never forget, as I read the story of David Wilkerson, how that book did not begin in the courtroom. The story of David Wilkerson reaching gang members in New York City began, he explained, as God convicted him to turn off his television set on Saturday evenings and get down on his knees in his study and began to pray. And he said it was in this private, intimate place that one day he was praying, and while he was praying, he saw a a Life magazine article about the gang members in New York City being tried for some heinous crimes. God spoke to his heart as he was praying. He he noticed that, and that is when he decided that he would go visit one of the trials in New York City. At this time, David Wilkerson was pastoring in a little city in Pennsylvania. He was a small town pastor that God moved upon his heart to go right into the center of, 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 um, you know, the American underworld and begin to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you one thing, friend, that was was a miracle of God because somebody had an altar in a private place. And I want to talk about that this morning as we look in the text. I do want you to continue to... uh, uh, Think along these lines, a famous statement by John Wesley, God will do nothing except an answer to prayer. In, first of all, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 and 6, I want to talk about the prayer closet this morning, a message I've entitled, Out of the Closet. See, there it is again. Just because I preach in San Francisco, I say something like that and... You guys jump to the conclusion. Six, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room or go into your closet. And when you have shut your door... Pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will will reward you openly. Now, quickly cut over to Isaiah chapter 6. What we're going to do right here is we're going to take the closet cam, and we're going to go into Isaiah's personal moments with God. And we're going to see how his ministry was forged in the closet, in this private place says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up, and the train 
of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Verse 4, And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Verse 6, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. I also heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. And verse 9, I'm going to cut this off. And he said, Go and tell this people. I want to talk about some simple thoughts this morning that really have to do with accepting God's ministry and purpose for your life and forging it through in the prayer closet. The first thing that Isaiah confronts here, and this is absolutely essential to truly establish a ministry, is he confronts his own inadequacies in the prayer closet. Because when God begins to reveal himself to Isaiah, his honest response is, Woe is me. And I want you to know, when you accept God's responsibility and you follow the Holy Spirit and you plant yourself where God calls you to be, if you have one shred of honesty in your soul, you are going to look at the the, the landscape of where you're, of, of what you're going to uh, be um, preaching to, and you're going to take a quick look at yourself and you say, "Dear God in heaven, how in the world can I ever pull this off?" Are you following me this morning? When you when you go and so when he began to understand what God was doing, he began to see his response to that was, "My God." This is an impossible task, and compared to my skills, my abilities, my personality, I'm in serious trouble unless God does something. I want you to know something. It's in that prayer closet that you are able to confront that, those issues, those problems. Well, one thing I realized real quick and quick in San Francisco was either I was going to establish a serious prayer life, or I was going to throw myself off the Golden Gate Bridge. One or the other. Because there was too much of a discrepancy between me and the challenge. I'll never forget how I felt right when I got there. It was right around Halloween and sometime in that season. And um, I was putting up posters. We were going to do a play immediately after I got there. I began to do some things. and put a, We were having a play coming from New Mexico. And I was putting up posters. And I had only been doing this maybe two or three days. I was going downtown, you know, and various places trying to find some kind of a, a direction there. And all of a sudden, one day, I mean, I went through a totally demonic episode. I'm, I was talking about vexation the other night. Sometimes there are toxic levels of vexation. And it just began to occur to me where I was. 
and who was around me and what was happening. And I mean, as I looked around, friend, I mean, I began to see this place is totally off the wall. I mean, you ought to see all the new age feminist witches. And then on the other side, you see these dope dealing gangsters. And then you see these blatant homosexuals. And my head began to spin. I got, started getting sick to my stomach. I was thinking, you know, witches and gangsters and queers. Oh my, you know, I felt like dorky. Witches and gangsters and queers, man, I mean, I am not exaggerating. I had to get on the train. It's called the N. Judah train. And I headed for the, the, to the ocean beach just to look at the ocean and breathe. Because we are in places that are so intense and they have so many issues and there are powerful demonic strongholds in these places and if you think you're going to go into these places under your own power under your own sophistication and wisdom you're you're deluded that's why we have a place to pray where we can get on our face get on our knees before God whether that is actually a closet which I actually had to do at the time because we had no church or it's the same corner in prayer meeting, you must get on your face and say, Dear God, woe is me, I need to work through my inadequacies here. I was sitting one day at the ocean, and I would read my Bible there, and, um, you know, San Francisco's intense. Let me tell you something. On top of all the insanity, there's insane wealth right now. It's like a new gold rush, the dot-com market. It's out of control. There are 64 new millionaires in San Francisco every day. And I've heard this figure repeated several times in the last few months. Every day. People are there to make money and to, you know what I mean, to get theirs. And I remember I was sitting at the beach and, every, you know, people take these, people from the financial district, they take the, the, the uh, you know, during, time during the day, whatever time, and you see them, they're out there, and they're running, and, and I just want to make something perfectly clear. San Francisco is a cold place like here, and so uh, this wasn't Baywatch, okay? I mean, the people are all, they got sweats and towels and all that. But anyway, I'll, I was observing, it just so happened, caught my, there's this one uh, uh, kind of a 28-year-old something, young girl, not, not a, big, a big woman, you know, like a young girl, I could tell she was working somewhere in the financial district, full of ambition, you know what I mean, full of drive. And uh, I, she, was, she was running around where I was uh, parked. I could just see it on her face. It was not a pretty sight, believe me. But I saw determination. I saw drive. And it was like something spoke to me and said, how can you run with horses when you can't run with men or her? In other words, you're not in a place where people are just there to get by and say, whatever, manana, you know what I mean? There are people here that have showed up to, to, to make their stake and to make their claim, and dear God in heaven, I don't know if it was God or the devil or a guilty conscience, something inside of me says, you better catch some drive. It's in the prayer closet. It's where you begin to deal with all these inadequacies. You know, one of the big, I believe one of the big issues with a lot of people is they lose their confidence early on. If you're a pioneer and you're a pastor, I'm going to give you a sure... Brother last night was talking about um, keys to revival. I'll give you a, a real key to no revival. I'll give you a key right now. 
When you go into your new ministry, you busy yourself down with so many other things. Like, you know, going into the forest and cutting down a tree and making the nicest pulpit, you know, it's like two-thirds the size of your church building. You know what's even a better idea is you better establish that intimate place, that altar, because I guarantee you, your ego is going to need it. I guarantee you there are going to be such overwhelming feelings of inadequacy and, and, uh, and shortcoming that are going to come upon your life that only in that place where you can cry out to God and say, God, I messed up. Woe is me. I can't do this on my own. I know there's a lot of young pastors that are absolutely convinced. It's, you know, the world's waiting for you. But uh, the bottom line is, that the world will kick you to the curb. And there's a lot of ministries that never even get off the ground because by the time a guy's finishing tripping, up, tripping on himself, he goes, he's bipolar. He goes from thinking he's the biggest, baddest disciple to ever walk, you know, the face of the fellowship to going and thinking he hasn't got nothing to offer and it's like time has expired year, two years go by. There's no dominion. There's no dimension. There's no altar. So he comes to the conclusion, I'm inadequate. Would have helped if you figured that out in the beginning. It says in Psalm 91, verse 1 and 2, He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall dwell in the power of the Almighty. It says in, in, in um, the book of Judges, chapter 6, Gideon, God speaks to Gideon. He tells him, go in the strength that you have. And he begins to tell him how he was going to deliver uh, his people. Let me just make a point here. You know, th perhaps this is, um, you know, this is my revelation. Perhaps you have another view of this. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, you know, Gideon was very honest about his inadequacy. He said, man, I'm, I'm the least man in, in my family. My family's of the least tribe in Israel. He had a certain assessment of himself. But God says, go in the strength that you have. But do you want to know what Gideon did with his strength? He went and made an altar to God. Now the significance there is, he took what little strength he had, and he gave the glory to God. He found a place with God, and it was after he made that altar that the fire of God was revealed to him. So he was wise. What little strength he had, he took it, made an altar, and it was that altar that he found the strength to do the will of God. Because it's so, so absolutely necessary. And I'll tell you something. I pastored for 11 years. I'm going to be a little honest here. And when you pastor 11 years and you get certain opportunities and you travel and, you know, a pastor can become insulated in his own church world. You know what I mean? Brethren, fellowship, you know, especially when there are wonderful young disciples around, they're always buttering up the egos, you know, the pastors that preach and stuff like that. But it's, it, 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 it's intense to walk out of that safety net, you know what I mean? To get outside of that, uh, uh, that circle where everything is comfortable, where everything is understood and you can say what, everyone nods their head and knows what you're, you know, we can take the land, we all nod immediately, you know, we, we know all these things, we have all the bywords and everything down, but to walk out of that environment and face the world and once again come to terms with 
a terrible discrepancy between what I have to offer and what the world's need is. That's intense, man. God, give us an altar to where we can talk to you. Isaiah's first experience in, in his closet was, God, woe is me. And some of us who come to conference right now, you're coming, you're feeling this, woe is me. And you're thinking, woe is me, is I can't make this, I can't do this, this is not going to work, I'm not a fruitful kind of man, I don't have the personality to pull this off, I don't have enough jokes, or whatever you're thinking. I'm telling you that there is an altar where you can tell God all about it. And it's in that place that God will begin to strengthen and equip your life. But without that altar, you're going to want to quit. No, another thing here was that this came to accepting, this is where Isaiah accepted his responsibility for his ministry. is in the closet. Now this is, this is very significant because when you are trying to establish something for God, it's hard. And in this place of difficulty... That is where we are most likely to shirk our responsibility. Can you say amen? When everything goes good, we want to take full responsibility. We want to make sure. I pioneered that church. I built that. You know, I, but when things are hard, what we want to do is we want to shirk. And it was here in the closet that Isaiah accepted and established his personal responsibility for what God was doing in his life. God revealed Himself, as we read. And Isaiah's response was to his inadequacy, Woe is me. But then when God said, Who shall I send? Who will go for us? Isaiah said, Here am I, send me. And God had His tape recorder running. I'm going to give you a very disturbing thought this morning. Whenever you come to the altar and you dedicate your life to preach the gospel, God remembers what you say. And sometimes we have to establish and reestablish that over and over again. And it's in that place that we battle through our sense of responsibility. We see that, it, it, that in Nehemiah, I mentioned him the other evening, ne Nehemiah chapter 1, all the way through verse 10, Nehemiah is taking full and complete responsibility for what he's about to deal with. He's even repenting. Nehemiah's a good guy, but he's repenting. And he's saying, we've, we've done this and we've done that and we're messed up and we're screwed up. And he accepted his responsibility there. Even Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is, is uh, you know, uh, agonizing over the cross. But it was in that private place that Jesus had to say, he prayed three times. Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. I mean, this was an intense moment that had to be forged out, and the only place it could be forged out was in that private moment. Now, I know he wanted the guys to pray with him. He said, can't you even stay awake? One hour, but I think maybe it's better. Maybe God put him to sleep, you know what I mean? Because they would have been there and said, don't do it, Lord. Don't do it, man. Forget the cross. But it was in that place that private agonizing moment that Jesus said, okay, that's it. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done, Father. I'm going to 
fully and completely accept this, and that is where it's established. And another thing I'll tell you, without that place, this is where young pastors and others begin to lay, play the blame game. It's my pastor that put me here. It's the church. It's the fellowship system and operations. No, friend, it is you. And the only place you're going to be able to forge that out is between you and God all alone. Make or break. This thing flies at this stage. It's because God called me to be here and I will be here. George Gilder, he, he wrote a book, several books, but one he wrote was called Wealth and Poverty. He made an interesting point that I believe will help make my point here. George Gilder said that the greatest qualities needed to be successful are not necessarily working capital, contacts, and education like you would think. He said in his study, he's come to the conclusion that the greatest quality necessary for success, now he's talking about business and I'm going to, this, this applies. He says is what he calls the X efficiency factor. And this breaks down, according to Gilder, in three ways. He says it, it really what matters the most are these three elements he calls the X efficiency factor. Management, motivation, and spirit. And he went on to say, and this is what I want to apply here. He said management, motivation, and spirit are best characterized in the attitude of sole proprietorship. In other words, when somebody takes full and complete responsibility for their undertaking, that is when these things begin to express themselves in your life. But until you come to that point where you say, I am responsible, I have accepted this, win or lose, I am putting my life on the line, I am putting my financial future on the line, I appreciate my pastor, I understand this is part of a greater vision, we're not doing our own thing, but when push comes to shove, it's because you in your closet said yes to God. He said, here am I, send me, uh, or rather, he said, who will go for us? You said, send me. That was a deal that you made. And, and, and in the final analysis, it comes down to that. You read about what these prophets went through. And without that personal battle for who's responsible for this, they never would have been able to put up with all the garbage. You will not put up with the garbage unless you can say, this is, my, this is my decision. This is my decision. God called me. I felt it. I pursued it. I told pastor, send me out. I bugged pastor about a city. I said God did this. And how come so many people come to a conclusion after some battles that uh, they just got caught up in a system? When they were a new convert, somebody took them out for pizza, and the next thing they knew, you know, they were getting sent out. <laughs> Doesn't work that way. I would like to play the tape back, man. It's going to be just like that. God's going to just play the tape back. Is this your voice? Pop. Oh, God, send me, send me, Lord, I'll do anything. I believe one of the reasons that happens, by the way, and I know that there's no 
you know, easy answer, and I don't want to oversimplify this, but I believe that many of these people had, a, had, had actually no prayer life. They have no more intimacy. Because that is where it happens. That's where it happened, and that's where it's established, and that's where it's reinforced, in the closet. When I got sent out, I was very young, and I was very, I had this real reluctant half-stepping nature that God's always had to deal with. But I was convicted, I had a vision, I was prompted by the Holy Ghost. But there was another side of me that wasn't sure. And I remember uh, my first opportunity was in Laredo, Texas. It was kind of a, a situation where we were going to go in and kind of try to re-pioneer something. And it was on the border, and it was not easy. And it was, there was just a lot of difficulties, man. I mean, it was one major difficulty after another. And I used to get up every morning and look in the mirror and say, what the heck am I doing here? I'm, I'm true. I look at myself and say, what are you doing, man? This is the most insane thing in the world. And I found myself really falling into that. And, uh, um, you know, I, I was battling. I was trying to do my best. But, man, I was in a midst of a head game. And a couple of months after I was there, my parents came to visit us. My parents are good folks. They've always been very supportive. They're not, they're not saved, but they're supportive people. And so they're there, and my parents are looking around. And I think at this time, you know, we have in our Sunday morning service, we have like six people on the border in Laredo, Texas. You know what I mean? And my dad, he's vexed for me. I can tell. He's just there, and he's trying to be respectful. And they don't go to one of our trees, you know what I mean? And they're just there, and just trying to endure this thing. They're trying to help me endure the shame of the moment. You know what I mean? I remember I had this big, uh, large print Bible, and my father, he just sat there the whole, he didn't even look up. The whole service I was preaching, he didn't even look up. He just, he just had this big, large print Bible open, and he was reading it while I was trying to preach. I think he was reading the book of Job to encourage himself at that moment. <laughs> But I knew something was up, man, because after the service, I knew that my, I could see something, you know, in my dad's head. And, and so uh, uh, we got alone, went to run an errand, and my father said, listen, son, he goes, I know that you mean well. I know that you're trying, and he goes, and I know, and he said this insult to injury. He said, and I know your brother Richard is really good at this. But this may not be for everybody. Why don't you... Why don't you come home and live with us? I'll put you through school. You're very young still. You've got a little daughter now. And you try. And I remember at that point, I felt God grip my heart to make a decision. To quit playing. It was like God allowed this scenario to play itself out because I had to make a decision about who was responsible for this ministry. Was I just here because I was an emissary of the door in Tucson or was I there because God put his hand on me and I said yes? So I remember I heard my father out. He meant well. I said, listen, Dad, I know, you, I know, I know you're trying to help me out here, but I want you to know I don't care how it looks. 
I don't care how many people are in our service. I don't care how ugly this town is. There's no place on earth me and my wife would rather be than Laredo, Texas. My dad nodded his head and said, son, I can respect that. He didn't bring it up again. Now, I was lying through my teeth. <laughs> Ain't no question about that. But in this case, it was the lesser of two evils. It was time to stand up for the will of God. And that was birthed out of, you know what that was birthed out of? I remember the private prayer that I had prayed. And when I got sent out, I was standing at the altar. And I remember, I, God brought me back several times where I said, God, they were laying their hands on me. And I said, God, I'm going to take my ministry as seriously as a marriage. This is the death do his part. And God brought those words back from my little silent prayer. God heard my prayer under that tree. And said, hey, I said, hear him, I, Lord, send me. I want to use one other um, reference here. It's in the closet that you find a strategy for the kingdom of God. If you think you're going to get some principles, and those principles are going to automatically compute into revival and success and fruitfulness, you're, you're strangely deluded. And I'll, I'll, I'll even say something else. If you do take those principles and you are successful and, and fruitful, I don't hate you, but I'll say one thing. Without that altar, somewhere your ministry is going to be damaged. Because some people do get revival. They, like, they set up a tent and everybody fills it. But the bottom line is, you will only find out what God's will is in the closet in this private place on the altar. Because remember, when, when Isaiah in this story, what did he say? He said, Lord, woe is me. And then he said, here my Lord, send me. And it was after those, those, those experiences that God then directed him what to do next. He said, okay, Isaiah, go and tell the people. And then he gave them you know, a, a, a number of things to say that I didn't go into this morning. But that is where your strategy is. I remember years ago, most of the disciples used to have a copy of We Can Take the Land. It's like an old, dusty book now. But back in the day, that was something we took very seriously. And one of the things I did when I started pioneering again is I took out my old, dusty copy of We Can Take the Land, and I started to read it. And uh, it... it it began to feed me again, just like a brand new pastor began to feed me. And one of the, you know, it's so... It's so simple, you know, but yet sometimes we dismiss these things and we mock the pattern. And we, you know what I'm trying to say? There's a silly spirit that loves to dismiss common sense. But one of the things that comes out in this book is when you go into a city... You need to seek the mind of God. That's too simple, isn't it? You need to go seek the mind of God. You need to avail yourself. You need to establish a place where God is able to talk to you. 
For God is able to reveal some strategy and some direction. And all throughout the Word of God, we see this principle in play in the lives of men of God. 1 Samuel chapter 30. David is, is in a terrible strait. His, the families and the uh, children of his men have been kidnapped in Ziklag. The Amalekites have hauled them off. Listen to me. This is a, a, a tremendous crisis. The people are thinking of trying David and stoning him for, the, for his bad leadership. David has absolutely no room for error. None. Zero. If he blows it in his next decision, he's a dead man. And the Bible says the only thing David can do is he can pray. And it's in his moment of prayer. He seeks God. He, he, he seeks direction. And in seeking direction, God gives him an exact, meticulous strategy whereby he is able to save his ministry. Not every crisis in our lives is going to be a ziklag, but brother, sometimes we are going to go through those make-or-break moments in life, make-or-break moments in our church, make-or-break splits at, at certain strategic times when the devil is on our back, and without that altar, you are not going to know what to do. Before you turn into the KGB, man, and try to shake all the people down and find out where the rebellion is, maybe you ought to go into your closet and ask God what to do next and when and why and how. Because many times it's those make or break moments that you find the strategy you need in the closet. It's a lot easier to roll your sleeves up Start and, and, and become the bouncer. You know, praise God. God gave the church an enema. Hallelujah. You know what I mean? And that whole attitude that we've seen over the years. There are times that that happens. But I'm telling you, sometimes, sometimes, not all the time, sometimes it's a reflection of somebody who's dull spiritually and has no sense of strategy from God. Not all the time, but sometimes. They just have not agonized and sought God on the matter. And how many times did God tell his people, you wait and wait on the salvation of the Lord. Let me do something. How many times were God's people under the gun and something supernatural would happen and the enemy would turn on itself because they sought God and they waited. And not because they took it into their own hands. There are several cases in the Bible where... People tried to take things into their own hands. Numbers chapter 13, 14. The spies said, let's not do it. God gets mad at them. Then the spies say, okay, let's do it. And they lose both times. God gets mad at them and the enemy's still mad at them. And they lose. You have to have the mind of God. Various times in order to properly execute your ministry. There are other situations. Joshua. Remember, Josh, the riding high. They go into the promised land. They, they, they beat Jericho 72 to nothing. You know what I mean? They're, they're, he's already planning on the playoffs down the road. And then they come up against a little country, I or AI, and these little guys put a whipping on the Israelites. Now, from the natural perspective, listen to me, from the natural perspective, it doesn't make sense. And in the natural mind, I would say, wait a minute, this ought not to, let's just do it again. 
But before he could make another stupid decision and lose people, God in that private place was able to talk to him and say, and say, Joshua, the problem is not your army. The problem is there is sin in the camp. And it was in that private place that he found that out. And if he would have simply uh, uh, been too busy for that and just done his thing, he would have gone over and over again and made the same mistake over and over again until all his disciples were in jail. After the same outreach, you know? No, you have to, you have to get God's strategy. God was able to speak clearly to Isaiah. After Isaiah accepted his responsibility, God says, Okay, Isaiah, this is what you need to do. And begin to lead and direct his life. I believe, brother, just let me encourage you. God has entrusted to us a wonderful thing. Discipleship is a wonderful thing. We are one of the last bastions. I, I'm not putting other people down, but just in terms of anything going on under any banner today, of where we raise up men, where we inspire young men to be men, fathers, husbands. That's God. That's what the Bible says in the last days. God is going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. That is working in our fellowship. That's an endorsement from heaven. We have wonderful sisters in an age of the feminazi. We have wonderful women who, who embrace God's call upon their lives. And God, God's purpose and, and the outflow of the wonderful, beautiful things that women represent. We can, we have something to offer. And we can make it. Your ministry is important. It's not only important, it's necessary where you are. But there's going to be some extremely, extremely uh, crucial moments in your ministry that you're just going to have to hear from God. In that closet. In our, we're in San Francisco, and we're having a, a very difficult time finding a building. I am not exaggerating. I was looking at a building uh, right off of the Haight-Ashbury area. That's the area I knew, so I, went, I checked it out. $4,500 for a hole in the wall. It was it's just insurmountable issues. And it was like, what, what am I doing here? But I knew God called me. And I must say, it, is, it was in this time that all I could do was pray. We'd witness, we'd have plays, we'd do things, but by and large, it was just, God, I just have to find something. God spoke to me one day about the area of the city He wanted us to be in. I felt it very clearly. And it was around the city college there in San Francisco. And I was praying, but nothing. I find, found a building nearby. Pastor Warner came in. He was preaching somewhere else. He came in and we offered... A Chinese lady, $3,000 a month for a Pioneer building. Pastor Warner offered that much. I'm, you know, I'm looking at him saying, my God, he's upping the ante here. I better do something. You know what I mean? Pressure. And the lady said, that's not enough. I could get better than that. And she dismissed us. And it was like, God, what am I going to do? Finally, I decided, like Abraham, that I was going to come up with an, an alternative method. And I was going to settle in the, the closest city out of San Francisco is Daly City, which is kind of pretty much the same place, got the same streets. But anyway, I was going to go out to Daly City, and I decided that I was just going to get a building out there. It had been over a year. I had no building. I, we were meeting at different places. I had no building. But I knew God spoke to me in a closet. 
And so my last day, this is no exaggeration, the very day that I'm going to accept this lease offer in Daly City, one more time, I drive in the area of San Francisco that I felt God wanted us to go. I just took a little drive on the way to this place, and while I'm driving down Monterey Boulevard, this is the Glen Park section of San Francisco, I drive by, I see a sign in the building, in a building, that says for rent. It had never been there before. I pull over, I, 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 you know, I see the number, I make the phone call, and I only have one prayer. God, please don't let this guy be gay. You know what I mean? Because it was, this is going to vex my day. Anyway, this guy sees me immediately. And I show up, and I'm just thinking, I'm going to lay it on the line, you know, whatever. You know, you get to that point, it's like, no more, I'm not going to couch these terms anymore. I'm not going to posture myself anymore. I'm a church, and we need a building. And um, I, I, I just say, you know, we're, I'm new, I'm pastor, I'm establishing a ministry here, we're looking for a starting church, and I would like to rent your building. And this is what the guy said. He reached his hand toward me and he said, praise God, I'm a Christian too. Now what made this so amazing to me is this guy is a lawyer who operates next door, and he says, I'm a Christian and I'd be glad to have a church. In fact, I prefer having a church next door rather than a business. And... He, he went on to say, and you know what, rather than charge you $1.75 a square foot, triple net, that means they get you for the taxes and all this other stuff, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you um, a dollar a square foot flat. 2,000 square foot building. $2,000 a month, I mean, you know, but the, 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 it was a miracle. This guy's a Christian lawyer in San Francisco. <laughs> I thought they were extinct, you know? But you know what? There are places that we're only God's going to lead you. And if you don't have that private experience with God, chances are you're going to come to some faulty conclusions that you were never called, that, uh, um, that you're not able to do it, and that God doesn't really want you there. But you have a closet, you're going to hear from God... And God will lead you piece by piece, turn by turn. The, the, the psalmist said, your word is a lamp unto my feet. Notice what he, the way he put that. He didn't say, your word, you know, is, is a beam, you know, where he can see the whole thing. Your word's a flare where I can see the whole field and then I know it's, your word's a lamp to my feet. This, that means it only takes care of a couple of steps at a time. And then you turn, then you turn. But we like to have it all figured out, folks. The only options we have are in the, in the prayer closet. And this is what it means this morning. You go into your closet. The reason I call this out of the closet, because as you go into your closet faithfully, and again, I'm going to say, whether that be a closet, when you're pioneering, you don't have a prayer meeting. You know what I mean? I'll tell you what, brand new pastor, the fact that you don't have prayer meeting is one of your first great challenges. You fail that test, and uh, you know what I mean? You, you're going to be playing from behind the whole time. You don't have prayer meeting? Well, then you, you, you clean out your closet, man. 
get rid of some basketballs and, and skis or whatever. Clean out a, a closet. Pray. And when you do have prayer meeting, find a corner, find a place, and stay there. And make that an intimate place that God can talk to you. Because you go into your closet and it's out of your closet that the blessing of God flows. Jesus said, He that prays in secret, I will reward you openly. That's what we need. Let's bow our heads this morning. As I said in the beginning, I'm very encouraged. Just from the standpoint of a pioneer pastor being able to sit in the conference, hear these men preach. These men are not novices. They're, they're, they're experienced men. Brother Schultz this morning talked about you know, valuing and appreciating the wonderful opportunity that we have. It is a wonderful opportunity to preach, to minister, to, you know... I'm, I'm just going, he's talking, I'm just thinking that when we were so young, it was like, God, if you could just use me. And here we are with responsibilities and the burdens, but to have that spirit, be able to go back this weekend and just love your church and say, God, what a great thing. Look at me, man. I got a pulpit and a platform and everything, and I'm going to love these people. Brother Gaina talked about not being distracted, having an eye of the tiger for what God has called you to do, not listening to all the distractions and the voices and the, and the assaults upon your mind. We all know what that's like. To be in a place where you can't concentrate on the vision before you. And this morning, I wanted to challenge you to cut out that altar. You know, altars can be renewed, too. I'm talking about that private, consistent place where we plop ourselves down before heaven and say, God, I'm punching in. I think Brother Schultz, I believe, this morning, who mentioned, you know, the regular, regularity of the, uh, of the sacrifice. It kind of, that's what clicked in my mind, of just plopping yourself down before God, saying, okay, God, here's the, here's the morning sacrifice. of seeking Him. There are ministries in transition here this morning. Ministries. God is forging and making you, brother. He's forging and making you. But if you want the Master to forge you and make you, you're going to have to give yourself to that private place where He can reach you, where He can, His tool can reach out of heaven and craft you. But you're being amiss if you think that you're going to... That's going to happen just because you're in motion, just because you're doing something. It's that closet. Jesus said, when you pray in secret, God sees in secret, and He'll reward you openly. It's that secret place that the real things are accomplished. Some, we pray at altars and conferences like this, services, that's important. That this altar is simply a symbol of your private, personal altar. If you only pray at this altar at a service, you don't quite have it. I mean, it's important. 
and I think it's a powerful aspect of our services, but that ought to be just the tip of the iceberg of your own personal prayer life. I'm not talking about how long and, you know, exactly how to do it, but I'm saying there's only certain things that can happen in that place. Some of you guys came to the conference absolutely convinced that you cannot make it. You and your wife have had that conversation. You said, this ain't going to happen. We're just not cut out for this. But God, in that place, He can, he can encourage you. Remember, He told Gideon, go in the strength that you have. Gideon built an altar with that little strength. I'm telling you, you say, I have no strength, man. I can't do it anymore. I don't have... What you do have, what you do know, what you can do, build an altar with it. And let God's fire come on your altar. And He'll begin to do things that you did not reckon in your own mind. It was in Revelation that Isaiah realized who he was. And it's in that place that you and I are going to realize who we are or who we are not. I'm just going to change the uh, appeal very quickly. Perhaps you're, in, you're a visitor this morning. You're not saved. I'm talking about prayer this morning, but you know what that really means? To, to bring, it, bring it home here is that you can know God. That we're not here playing church, playing religion, going through the motions, trying to figure out methods. We know God. We follow God. We've been born again. And you're not right with God, or maybe you're backslidden this morning, and you need to either get a relationship with God or reestablish a relationship with God. I would like to quickly give you an opportunity to get right this morning. I want you to put your hand up quickly. No one's looking around. The pastor, I'm not even right with God, but I'm going to get right with God before we do anything else. Praise God. As we do, we conclude these services with, with an altar call. And we need to, you know, reestablish some, some priorities in our lives. The ministry is very spiritual. It really is. I know we mock super spirituality, but the ministry is spiritual. And without that spiritual dimension at the cutting edge of what we do, you will quickly lose your perspective, your desire, and your ability. God, help us. Help us, Lord. God says, we say, woe is me. That's how you feel. Woe is me. I think God was telling Isaiah, now I can talk to you, man. Finally figured that out. Now let's talk. Let me show you what I can do. Maybe you can't do it, but I can do it. Here I am, Lord. I think sometimes if we get off the mentality of what we think success is and all this, and we'll merely just avail ourselves to do God's will and to love who God gives us. As the brother's preaching this morning, God can do tremendous things. Again, Brother Gator talked about lack of distractions. You know when that, you know when that really works? It's when God shows you what to do and you know what to do. Where we get so overwhelmed by distraction is when we're not sure, when we're double-minded, where we're just kind of trying this and trying that and trying this. Read this book and try that. Friend, you need to let God give you some direction for what you need to do. We're going to stand.